And we're talking about the blood of Jesus. So it doesn't get any more powerful than that. You know, uh, there is nothing more powerful on the planet than that. The blood of Christ and what Jesus does in our life. You know, what his blood shed means to you and to me. Uh, and we've said that there is life in the blood, and that's just true about us as human beings, but it's even more true about the blood of Jesus that was shed and the life that we have in his blood. The most powerful blood ever is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. I mean, that's, if that, you know, when that, when that applies to your life, when you get that and you let that uh, just cover you, and you walk in that, and you, you, you get washed in that knowledge of what God has done for you, and you accept his blood in your place of your blood, uh, that overcomes everything. I mean, not just sin and death, but that should just like to totally overcome you to where you want to just fall on your knees and say, God, thank you. You know? I mean, that's just, it's just amazing love, right? I mean, it's just the extent of God's love uh, is just so powerful. There's life in the blood, and we also said that there's redemption in the blood, that in the blood there's that forgiveness, that, that we are clean with God. He makes us new in Him, and we're redeemed by His blood. So much in the blood, you know, there's so much. And our third truth comes today to us from Ephesians chapter 2. Steve almost stole my thunder a little bit there. But uh, Ephesians chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 2. It's, it's, it's a great, this is an amazing uh, truth about the blood of Christ, and that is this. Oh, you got ahead of me, man. You can't do that. It draws, no, no, you're too far. There, it draws us near. That's what it does. See, we've got to be together on that. Draws us near, boom, there it was. Okay. The, the blood of Jesus draws us near. Just think about that. I mean, it draws us near. There's a lot of things that draw people together, right? Common goals, common purposes. There's nothing greater than the common goal of sharing Christ with the world, right? There's nothing, there's no greater cause on the planet than that, right? I mean, there's a lot of good causes out there that people jump on and rah, rah, and, and that's great. But there's only one cause that we could ever jump on that is going to take us to eternity and beyond. You know, the cause of Christ and sharing the gospel with the world. That's a huge cause. But uh, people come together for a lot of things. Like if you grow up in an Italian home, you came together around a, a dinner table, right? If you're a bunch of preachers, you come together around food. And, and if you're anybody... Right? Food just like brings people together. So there's lots of things that bring us together. And when we're in the midst of that, like when you're at home for Thanksgiving, you go back to wherever you're from and you're with your family and you just look around that table. There's just a different, there's a, there's a depth there, right? There's this like rooted, deep, historical feeling of family that you can't get anywhere else. You just can't get that anywhere else. And, and the blood of Jesus does that for us. It draws us near to God. And there's nothing greater than that. There's no better place to be than, than in the presence of God. Like living and dwelling and moving and, and knowing that your eternity is set in the presence of God. When God draws us near in his blood, there's nothing greater than that. Paul's writing to the uh, Ephesians in, in the book of uh, Ephesians. 
And he's reminding them about lots of different things. He's reminding them about Christ and he's talking about the church. And if you flip through those chapters, you'll see some of these things. He's instructing them about salvation and about sonship and about unity in the church. He's talking to them about leadership and gifts that people have in the church. He's talking to them about Christian conduct and relationships. And he talks to them about the Holy Spirit. And he says that the Holy Spirit is a deposit for what's to come, right? A deposit like earnest money that God gives to us, that he puts within us, basically to say, I'm ba I'll be back. I'm coming back to get you. And the proof of that is that I'm going to leave in you my Holy Spirit. That's pretty powerful. God's coming back to take his Holy Spirit and all those who are connected to his Holy Spirit. And so if the Holy Spirit is living in you, you are a part of that eternal promise that Jesus is coming back to get you. That's amazing. Look what he says in verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, when you believed, and we all know that believing is more than just a, a mental thought. Believing has a lot to do with lining ourselves up with something. When you believe, you, you also then follow. You adjust your actions. You can't say, I believe, and then not be obedient. That's not belief. That's hypocrisy. So if you say, I believe, then we are also going to obey. So he says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, right? A seal, which is God's way of saying, I put my stamp on you. The promised Holy Spirit is God's stamp in you. Verse 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's amazing. I mean, in the Holy Spirit, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Right? That is, the, the Holy Spirit is so big and so powerful. We're talking about him on, on Wednesday nights. You've got to come if you're not. So many of you are coming, and it's such a beautiful thing to see and to be a part of. Um, but, but the Holy Spirit is like God saying, like, here, I'm just, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit, and he's huge, and he's bigger than anything you could ever imagine, but there's so much more than him. You know, and, and he's the deposit guaranteeing you not just him and not just his presence in your life right now, but what's to come, all the promises that God has for us that we can't even imagine, right? Guaranteeing our in inheritance, the inheritance that is yours and mine in Jesus. That, put, that should put a smile on your face, yeah? Right? I mean, that's amazing. That's good stuff. I mean, this, this book is just rich with, with good truth. And, and as we go through chapter 2, we're going to read through it. I'm going to try to hustle through it. But there's so much good stuff there. Paul came to Ephesus right on his second missionary journey. You read through book, the book of Acts. Paul goes to uh, Ephesus and he travels and he plants churches and he, he, he meets believers and he grows the kingdom. And it's just a short visit on his second journey to Ephesus. But then he goes back on his third journey and he spends like three years there in Ephesus. And he's there working with the people. He's, there's no doubt he's building leaders. He's raising up leaders for the church. He's planting home churches uh, all around the area. He's investing, Paul's is investing his life in the hearts of these people. You know, he's all in there. He goes to Ephesus and he's there, right? And I, and I just got to say, God has put us here right now. 
right? I'm not somewhere else. You're not somewhere else. He has put you right here where you find yourself this morning. And I don't mean just sitting in this room. I mean it's part of this family, this group. We, we should be all in, right? We come here and we should be all in, not part in, not 50-50 in, part in, part out. I'll be there when I, when I feel like it or when things are good. No, we're all in. That's what Paul did. He's all in. And you could tell that he's all in by the way things develop in the years to come. And there's no doubt at this point in, this, in these three years that Paul's in Ephesus that he plants those seven churches that we read about in Revelations, chapters 2 and 3. You know, those seven churches. It's probably during this journey that Paul is in that area that he builds these churches or develops these churches or plants these churches. Smyrna and Ephesus and Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Those churches we read about in Revelations happen because Paul is all in in Ephesus. I just wonder if we're all in sometimes, you know, or if we're just showing up. Just to the things we have to. I hope we're all in, because when you're all in, big things happen. You know, if you're just part in, big things aren't going to happen. Give God a little, little will happen. Give God a lot, oh, better stand back, right? Because a lot's going to happen. When you give him everything, he's going to do amazing things. And this is why, in Acts chapter 20, this is why Paul had to tear himself away from them. Those Ephesian elders in chapter 20 with tears on his final trip to Rome at the end of his ministry because he said that he would never see them again. And they wept together. You know why? Because they had gotten to know each other so well. And they were all in together, right? They were in together. Didn't mean everything was perfect. Didn't mean everything was done right or done perfectly the first time. It just means that they were in together trying to do all that they could to grow the kingdom of God. And that's all God expects out of us. He doesn't expect us to be perfect every time. He doesn't expect us to get it right every time. But he does expect us to keep trying together. And that's a beautiful thing. So he's writing this letter years later, probably in Rome in prison, among other letters that he wrote from there. And he's pouring out his heart to these guys, and he's just trying to encourage them, because remember, he's planted this church, and now he's writing to them to encourage them in their faith. So so Ephesians chapter 2, check it out. Verse 2. As for you, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So as we read through this, and we're going to go through this chapter, pretty much the whole thing, just just note the, the, the big chunks of truth in this. There's so much good stuff in this chapter. It's just unbelievable. But notice our condition, right? Our condition right off the bat here in chapter 2 is not a pretty condition. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's what you were. That's what you were. That's what I was. Dead in the water. Living on the earth, going through the motions, going to work, doing my thing, but I was dead in my transgressions and sins. I was cut off from God because of my sin. Verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed, when you followed, when we followed, there's people out there still following the ways of this world, right? The empty ways of life handed down to you by your fathers, right? 
and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's the devil. He's working, he's got people captive, and he's holding them there, and they don't even realize it, and they're following him to destruction. And Paul says, you once were one of them, and God saved you. Jesus came and he died for you. And you got that and you accepted that and you invited him into your life. And now your life is different. That's so cool, is it not? I mean, you've been given, we've been given a gift that we don't even realize how awesome it is. John Wesley was returning home from a, a service one day, a worship service, and he was robbed. The story goes, he was robbed by a robber, a thief. Robs John Wesley. Can you imagine that? That's like Billy Graham getting robbed on the way home one day. So the thief, however, uh, found that his victim, John Wesley, was a preacher and had very little money, because that's true. And, um, and not only that, all he had was like some, some cents in his pocket, some change in his pocket, and some tracks. I think one that said, get out of hell free, something like that. <laughs> he had these tracks. And so the robber takes all the stuff that he's got, and, and, uh, and, and the robber's like shaking his head wondering what he just got into, because... Because this guy has nothing. And as the robber's leaving, uh, John Wesley shouts out to the, the robber. And he says, stop. I, I've got something else I want to give you. And the robber's like puzzled at this point because he's got nothing out of the guy yet. But he's got something apparently that he wants to share with him. And he says this, listen, son, one day you may live to, re to regret this life you're living. And if that ever happens to you, there's something I want you to remember. He said, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all your sin. Try that on the next person that robs you. See what happens. Right? If anybody does something weird to you, like mean, just say, the blood of Jesus cleanses your sin. Just say that, Adam. They'll look at you like you're crazy. Anyhow, the thief shook his head and ran off. And John Wesley says he just prayed. He just prayed for that young man. He prayed that Christ's blood would reach his heart and change his life. Verse 3, uh, Paul goes on to say, all of us, look what he says, all of us, right? We're all in the same boat. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. Do you remember when that was you? Do you remember when you were there stuck in this life? See, I think part of our problem as Christians is we forget this. We forget what it was like to be lost. And that's why we don't have much compassion for people who are lost. We forgot. We think we've, we've always kind of known everything. We're just so smart. But there was a time when you were lost and you thought you knew it all, but you didn't until you met Jesus. And then everything changed. And we need to remember what that was like because there's many people still stuck here. And our only job as a church is to, to help them find Jesus. That's our only, that's our only purpose really. There's other things we do, but our main purpose is to help people find Jesus. That's it. That's, that's our, boil it all down, and that's what we're here for, right? And he says, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and its thoughts like the rest, we were also, just like them, by nature, deserving of wrath, the wrath of God that we know is coming, right? It's coming. One day Jesus is going to come and time is going to be no more and the wrath of God is going to be poured out on all those who have refused to accept Jesus as Lord of their life. 
And it'll be over. It'll be too late at that point. Verse 4, but God. Don't you love those? But God. See, this, there's good news and there's bad news. The bad news is you're lost in your sin. The good news is God steps in. And because of God's great love for us, for you, for me, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Grace the beautiful thing about grace is it doesn't matter how sinful a person is, grace always trumps it. Always. It doesn't matter how bad you are, how bad you've gotten, or how bad you think you might be, or all that you have done, mound up, is too big for God. It is not. God's grace can wash it all away in one swoop. He's so big. His grace is so deep and so rich, we'll never even know the, the depth of his love. But he made us alive with Christ. Right, when we were dead in our, in our sins, our transgressions, and it's by the grace that God has poured out on us and he's raised us up and he seated us with Jesus. Look at verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus. See, that's not just some time in the future. That's now. Right now, in, in your salv salvation state, in this graceful state that we're in, God has already, he says, raised us up. He's made us alive. He's raised us up with Christ. And he's already seated us with him in the heavenly realms. We claim that because God said it's so. We're here right now. We're already in Christ. And the promises are, are, are so big and so great. And the Holy Spirit is just a deposit of what's to come. Great things that are to come for us. God is amazing, right? In order that in the coming ages, he says, he might, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that just amazing? Every verse that Paul writes here is just so full of like words that are descriptive and big. Just think about, look at that verse 7. In the coming ages. I mean, God's already telling us that there's, there's, there's a future for you. There's a future for all of us. Time, is, time on this earth may end at some point on the planet, but time will continue to go in eternity. It will keep on moving forward. God will always be, and those who are connected to him will always be, and in the coming ages, that's going to happen soon. God's going to show even greater things, greater riches, his grace expressed in, look at that word, in his kindness to you. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but kindness is the last thing I deserve from God. Right? I don't deserve kindness. I deserve, like, wrath for my sin and for my bad attitudes and for my faults and for my selfishness and for uh, you know the list can go on and on and on I don't deserve his kindness do you and notice who the object of his love is us you know he doesn't love the planet he doesn't love the trees he's not in love with the stars he's in love with you we are the object of all his kindness and love that's a lot verse 8 for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Through faith. And this not from yourself, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one 
can boast, right? That's that beautiful passage that just says, all that we have is because of God. You didn't do anything for God to do it, right? He poured out all his love all the way to the cross for you. And there's nothing you can do or I can do for God to, to do that. Now, when it comes to accepting that or responding to that, that's different. But God's grace and his love and his son came not because of anything you did or didn't do, but because of who he is, because he loves you. And it's by grace that we can be saved in Christ, right? By our faith in him. Our faith connects us, right? We hope and we trust and we obey. But God is the one who brought it all about by grace. Because he loves us. Aren't you glad, Jerry? I mean, that's amazing, right? That's amazing grace. Verse 10, for we are, this is a beautiful thought, we are God's handiwork, right? He's working with us, trying to make us beautiful, putting a little mulch here and there, right? Clearing out some rocks and stones, trying to make us look right and, and be good on the inside, all the way on to the outside, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's our purpose, right? That's a piece of the purpose right there. That you are in Christ to do good works. That's it. And these are good works that just aren't flipping good works, but these are good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. In other words, he put you here with a purpose. And your purpose is to do what he, what he called you to do, what he has lined out for you to do with your life. And our job is simply to keep crying out to God, God, help me know what that is. Help me to walk in your will and in your plan for my life. No matter what, God, just help me to, to walk with you, to stay in tune with you. Verse 11, therefore, remember, reminder here Paul's going to give us, remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, the Jews, which is done by the body, uh, in the body by human hands. In other words, remember one, at one time you were outside looking in, verse 12. Remember that at that time you were, look at these words, separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Wow, those are five big words that, that define your condition before the blood of Christ was applied to your life. Look at those words. Five things that you were, and none of them are pretty. You were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship. You were foreigners to the covenant and the promises. You were without hope, and you were without God. I don't know how more desperate it could ever get than that, right? I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter how bad it gets on this planet for any one of us. To be in this condition or to remain in this condition would be the worst thing in all of eternity. And, and, and believe it or not, there's people still right here, right? Your friends, your neighbors, your, your family members, our, our people, some of them are still right here. They're separate from Christ. They're excluded from citizenship. They're foreigners to the promise. They're without hope. They're without God and they're headed to hell. I wonder how much we really care. You know, how much do we really care that that's true? Once that was us, once that was us, you were, don't you love that? You were. In other words, not anymore. Not anymore, you're not. 
And here's our verse, verse 13. This is our key verse. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. That's how powerful the blood of Christ is. Think about all the things Paul just shared about how far from God, how separated from God, how excluded from God, how foreigners and strangers we were to God. And the blood, the simple blood of Jesus Christ brings us near. It removes all of those things that separated us from God and it brings us near to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. In blood, there's life and in blood, there's redemption and in his blood, we are brought near. We're brought near. Anybody want to say amen to that? I mean, isn't that, isn't that the, in, in a nutshell, isn't that the good news? I mean, that we can sit here, all of us, right here, and, and there can be joy in our heart because we have been brought near because of what Jesus did for you and me. And even though, you know, in our, in our minds, all this stuff is going on in our lives, you know, things happening, good things, fun things, exciting things, and not so good things, right? All of us. We got, we got a story to tell, every one of us. But when you consider all that, and then you consider this, that in Jesus' blood we're brought near. All of that seems so small now. It's so, it pales in comparison to what we have in Christ. And, and, and when we live with this in mind, when we live our lives just, just holding on to the blood of Christ and what he's done for us, we can, we can conquer anything. It doesn't matter what happens to us. We will prevail. At one time we were lost, and at one time we were far away, and in Jesus, his shed blood, forgiveness of sin has come, and we have been brought near. That's beautiful. I mean, that's just amazing. Verse 14, for he himself, he, Jesus himself, he is our peace, who has made the two groups one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, we're all invited in, right? All are included on, on God's terms. We have all been allowed in. The invitation is gone to each and every one of us. Verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, he destroyed it. His purpose, his purpose. Sometimes we ask, what is God up to? Why is he doing this? Or what is he doing? What's God's purpose? Here you go. Paul shares a part of God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace and in, in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The punishment that we deserved, the wrath that was coming toward us, the results of our sin has been dealt with by the blood of Christ. That's just, uh, I don't know. That just makes you feel overwhelmed, doesn't it? Just overcome. Just We should feel a sense of just this, like, why would God do that for me? Right? I don't deserve any of it. What I deserve is not pretty, but God looks at me and he loves me. And he pours out grace when I deserve punishment because he loves me. He loves you. In verse 17, he came, Jesus came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. 
All right, verse 18, for through him we both have access. What a beautiful word that is, isn't it? We both have access to the Father by one spirit. That Holy Spirit, he lives in us. He's moving in your life right now. He's moving in your heart if you'll let him. And that one spirit is moving us closer to God, helping us have access to the Father. That's why our worship is so much more than just coming together and singing songs and checking off the box that I went to church. This is about the Holy Spirit moving us into the presence of God, the Father. We, we dare not take that too lightly, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty important. Consequently, he says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God, God's people and also members of his household. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone, immovable foundation, a solid rock, right? Verse 21, in him, the whole building, everything, all of us are joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Boom, that's amazing. He came, right? God came Jesus came to this earth and he came to preach peace not world peace you know free from bombs and stuff but spiritual peace with the father that you and I can have peace with God we can be made right with God to those who were near the Jews and to those of us who were far away thus Gentiles and in Jesus all of us have access we all have access to the Father. The doors of the Holy of Holies has been thrown open and we can all come in. And the result of being brought near is that this, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. And this home that God is building is built on a solid rock foundation, right? With the apostles, with the prophets, with Jesus himself as the capstone. I mean, that's a solid foundation, right? You build on that, and you will never be shaken. If you're building your life on, on what God has been doing from the beginning of time, if you're building your life on God and Christ and the blood of Jesus, there's nothing that will ever shake you. You will have this sense of strength and, and confidence in God, not in you, this confidence that God will protect me, that nothing in this world the devil can never touch if you are building on this foundation. And in Jesus, it all comes together. And Jesus holds it all together, right? He, he brings it together to be a holy temple in the Lord, to be a dwelling where God lives in us and where God lives among us, right? See, this is about God, and we get brought into it, right? This is about God wanting a people for himself that he can live in and work through and be a part of their life. And in order for God to have that, he had to clean us up, right? He had to do some work on us. And now he lives in us and among us. His blood, check it out, his blood brings us near so that he can come near, right? I mean, the blood first cleanses us so that God could then dwell in us. And without the blood, God can't dwell in us. James said it like this, come near to God and God will come near to you. Right? That's exactly what Paul is writing about. Coming near to God 
so that God can come near to you. The complexities in the blood are so, so vast. Holy God making us holy so that he can have us as his very own. Wow. Nothing in you could make that happen. Nothing in me could bring that about. It's all because of who he is. He's the one who started it all. He's the one who created it all. And he wants you to be his forever. That's amazing. Being brought near means a couple things. First of all, it means that you have moved. Okay, check that out. Being brought near means that you have moved. You have moved from one place to another. And where you've moved from is this. You have moved from a sick and sinful condition into something much more glorious in him. He's moved you, right? Being brought near means you have taken a trip. And that trip is from dead to life. You are now new in Christ. You have moved when you accept Jesus as Lord and walk in him. Being brought near means these things. In Jesus, you are restored. In Jesus, you are restored. Okay, isn't that awesome? That you're restored back to your original condition in Jesus that God intended for you. He makes you new again in him. From death to life, perfect in his sight, and washed clean in the blood of Jesus. You are restored. And that's a beautiful thing, right? That you're restored. That in him, when you come to him, he restores you from top to bottom. Number two is this. You are, you are brought into the kingdom of God. See, being brought near means, when, you, when we're brought near, it means that we are brought near into the kingdom of God, right? How awesome is that? We're no longer walking in darkness with our eyes blinded to the truth, but now we know the truth. The truth has set us free, and now we're free to walk in the light, right? Into the light, not into the darkness anymore. We have nothing to do with the darkness. That's how we want to live, right? If it's dark, we don't want anything to do with it. If it's evil, we're not going to participate. We're going to stand strong. We're going to walk with Christ, right? We're going to represent God well in this world, right? He's raised us up, right, in the heavenly realms. We're in a whole new kingdom in him. We've been brought near. Number three, you have peace. So you have peace with God, the God of heaven and earth. You have peace with God. That's big, you know? And we may have friendships and people that we don't get along with or, or old-time friends that maybe lost contact because you didn't see eye to eye. Okay, that's, that's just true for all of us, right? True? Raise your hand if it's true. Yeah, okay. So pretty much all of us. But with God, <laughs> with God, he's made the way for us to have peace with him. Right? We can have peace with God. That's big. You know, peace with God. He loves you, right? We're no, we're no, there's no longer hostility. There's no longer this sin that separates us, right? This law that we could never live up to. Jesus' blood has canceled it it's crushed it and now we can come into a relationship we can come not into a religion but we can come into a relationship with the god of all creation that's a beautiful thing right that's what we want we want a relationship with our creator not a bunch of rules to follow and we've gone into peace with god right we're no longer fighting against him and the last thing is this you have and i love this word you have access you have access that's so cool, isn't it? You have access. Like anyone who goes to a concert would love to have that access, right? That like stage pass, right? To get in there and see the band, meet the band. Woo-hoo. Um, but but this, is, this is like that times a lot. You have access 
to God. <laughs> That's insane. From, from once we were cut off from God, right? But now he's brought us in. He's brought us near. We're strangers no more. So John Wesley, after preaching, after preaching one day, uh, he's, he's uh, talking with people, visiting with some people, you know, afterwards. And this stranger walks up to him and says hi, and, and uh, he's talking to the stranger, and he's kind of excited to hear that this guy is a successful man, you know, and, and a visitor. And he's a believer in Christ and, and has a business not far and is doing well. But he also learned that this is the man that robbed him. And the man said, I owe it all to you, John Wesley. God has transformed my life. And John Wesley said, not me. But we owe it all to the precious blood of Christ that cleanses us from all our sin and brings us near.